Can you hear me? Yep, I've got you. I'm all good. Good, good, good. All right, I'm going to start. I'm going to start. Hello and welcome to another episode of Skin Tings with me, Skin. Uh, this time on the podcast, I got to chat to someone I've seen grow right from the early days of their career to the multi-award winning megastar artist they are today. Uh, here he is, one of the best voices to come out of the UK in recent years. It's Rag and Bone Man. question it's just kind of basically how's your lockdown going I mean because I know that some it's all about to be over right and some people are like yeah can't wait can't wait and then some people like me who like to be a bit hermit like us quietly dreading it because it's also a bit like I'm comfortable now it's taken a minute (laughs) I'm at home I'm comfortable and um I'm kind of like enjoying being like at home How, how are you feeling about it I'm sort of exactly the same I I'm sort of dreading life getting back to normal because I've um, I've sort of forgotten that I'm a musician and that. Do you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> For a while, <laughs> and like it's it feels like I've uh, I've spent a year just being like dad and and having the time with Ruben and that. Like you know, and I'm gonna kind of miss it. I think if if suddenly yeah. like I'm like thrown back into the world of like you know my diaries full up every week and stuff again. I know it's it's weird because I think for musicians it's I don't know if people understand of like we have lives that actually never stop. Yeah. There is there's very few holidays and there's very few kind of like moments of chill. And even when you're in a moment of chill that you kind of manage to squeeze that two week holiday in there or whatever, especially if you're successful, it's like you still got to answer the emails, you still got to answer the texts, you still got to you know. Well, I think this is the first time in my life I completely slowed down. Just like, just pay a different pace altogether. Yeah, I mean, I can see that you've got everything in your house. Have you like built a little studio there in your house there? Is that up and coming or is that where you've been doing all your stuff? No, when we moved there, like two, uh, we moved there when Ruben was born. So three years ago now. Yeah. I, yeah. Des- I decided I'd just build like a shed in the garden. Ah. And, um, it, and it turned into a bit more than a shed. So now, now I've got like a fully fledged working studio which is really lucky because, like, I can have all the band down there and stuff and we just chill and jam and stuff. And, um, yeah, it's been a blessing having this. really is. I mean, I think in some ways the days of... The days of going to, like, big old studios are still there. You know, if you want a drum sound and you want all that stuff, you can still go to a big old studio. But it feels to me, and I've said this a lot on the show, like, music is... I'm interested to see how music is going to change because everybody's doing this now. I've done it. Everyone in my band's got a studio at home now. Everyone I talk to, all the musicians, everyone's got their DIY studio at home. And there's definitely a sense of like, do we need to go back to what we had? You know? I kind of still feel like you do. Like I built this for for basically just doing demos and stuff. Yeah. And and getting to the point where I just write songs down here. I, I can sit here and record myself. I'm not really much of a producer, but... You know, I taught myself how to record vocals and guitar and piano and stuff, and that's enough to be able to write songs. But then yeah. I want to be able to go to a big studio with the whole band and then be able to play it and stuff together, and I haven't got room for that here, do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I know what you mean, especially with rock bands. It's the only way you're going to get great sound. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Um, but listen, first I just want to talk about... Um, I want to go back a bit, because I want to talk about that voice. Now, I remember the first time I heard it, 
you were totally unknown. And Mark Crew, who everybody knows works with um, Bastille and, and you and lots of other amazing people, um, he would ask me, you and uh, Lisa and Bastille to a song together. And so he played you, me your voice. And I remember I literally nearly fell off the chair. And then later on, you came down to the studio, remember that? Yeah. And I was just looking at you, and I just remember looking at you go, that voice, where did you get that voice? Remember that? <laughs> yeah. was, I thought to myself, oh man, I think I shamed that myself now, I've been a bit excited. But where and how did that voice develop? Is it something, I know your, your parents are both musicians and stuff like that, but where was this a gradual thing that you knew you could sing? Or was it like a, there was there a moment, for me there was a moment, was there like a moment for you or was this something you developed over a long space of time? Yeah, there was a moment for me like, it, it was probably when I was about 18, 19, and I reckon um, we used to have these, like, jam nights at, um, at a pub in this weird place in, like, East Grinstead or something. It was a really strange little pub, but there, it was just, it was bare, bare, like, old people to me at the time because they were, like, in their 50s and 60s, and, and I was, like, 18, 19, and, but they are playing, like, old blues and sometimes jazz, sometimes, like, swing and stuff, but... But like I knew all of the 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 old kind of blues standards from when I was a kid because I I I'd listened to like Howlin' Wolf and Screaming Jay Hawkins and stuff from my dad's record collection, so I kind of knew all the songs anyway. And I think I was I was a little drunk maybe, and and got the courage to to be like, oh, I'm gonna sing and I'm gonna do a number like. You know, I, I remember first of all I would just sit and play harmonica in the corner, <laughs> along along with the band. But I didn't sing, so I didn't really have the courage. And then one day I was like, "No, I'm going to do it." And I got up and sung, and like the pub just went like dead, and 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 bare people come up to me afterwards like, "Yo, I, we didn't know you could sing." And um and from that moment on, I was like, "Oh, that's for me. That that's that space on stage. That's mine. Like I'm having that." <laughs> Because you were, you know, you talked about all the, the. I mean, obviously, for me, it's clear you have that blues, blues, blues all the way back. But like serious proper blues from like back in the day, uh, Helen Wilson and, and all those people. I mean, did you? Were you singing? You? I mean, you were singing along at home. You knew this. Like you, you were just singing from an early age, hearing these records from an early age. Yeah, I like. I remember. I was singing as a kid because I remember being in a choir. But that was like, um, I was probably like nine or ten years old when I was in the choir but then I really just like it just came out the way it did I don't really have any like oh I worked on it and it went like this and I was like no I did it just it kind of came out like that and I really I did like over time kind of try to hone it in a little bit because it was proper raw first of all um but yeah I think that's just the importance of influence like I, I listened to so much of that music when I was a kid yeah that I think the first person that I really like was was almost trying to emulate was Muddy Waters and he had this sort of like real like barking way of singing you know it wasn't like it wasn't like too melodic but he had it was really commanding and um I remember the first time singing thinking like you know that that's that's that that would be the voice that I would want you know yeah, I mean, but the thing is, it's also the voice that you're just, nat your voice was naturally there as well, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I I wanted to sing like Kurt Cobain, but <laughs> yeah, the voice never did that. You know, I just had to do it myself. Um, so yeah, I'm just imagining little little Rory sitting there listening to all these things. But the thing about your voice, what I like about it is that 
you know, you look how you do, you're a big guy, you got tattoos everywhere, but there's an emotionality in your voice that it kind of really touches people. But where I'm guessing where you're from, you know, people are looking at you one way, but then you're you're actually, I don't know, you feel like you're a bit of a softie to me. Yeah. You know, you have this spiritual <laughs> and emotional connection in your voice. So although you come across as like, yeah, you're a big guy, but you're like a kind of gentle giant person to me. I mean, that's quite the difference, I think, between you and your voice and a lot of other singers out here, because it's the connection of understanding spirituality of singing and understanding the words. Is that because you're, did the songwriting come up with the voice as well? I f- funny you should say that, because like, it's, it was, it's been a thing that people say to me a lot. And even when I first started out, they were like, they had kind of trouble matching the way I looked with the way I sounded. It was yeah. like, it was almost weird to people. And like, I don't know whether that was a good or a bad thing to be. I, I found it strange that people couldn't deal with the way you look and the way you sound not going together. Do you know what I mean? About it. <laughs> have you, have, like, you must have had that in the past. Like, yeah. you know, because it, especially like Skunk and Nancy having the sound they did, like, and people expecting you to have a certain voice and then you come out sounding the way you do. Like, it, it's people find that strange, do they not? Um, yeah, but I think I think like you, it's that whole energy of that's what that's part of the reason why the, the success is there and why people like it. Yeah, because yeah. I think there's a lot of black female soul singers, you know, and yeah, uh, there's yeah. not a lot of black female rock singers, yeah. you know, and there's a lot of kind of people like Lou that would just think like be like amazing rappers and stuff like that, you know, a little bit more hardcore, and then you come out with this kind of succulent, rich baritone voice, and they're like that's a bit different. That's more interesting. And I think that's, um, I think the, the difference that in the beginning, right? Maybe you thought that was going to go against you, but actually I think that's one of your winning, the winning points to what you do, right? Yeah, it de- no, it definitely has. It has been like a winning point. And um, like, I think I always wanted to be emotional with songwriting as well and, and not be yeah, like, yeah. and not be like too afraid of just laying everything on a plate. Do you know what I mean? Especially with the last record I wrote, like, it's super, super honest and I'm almost like too honest at points, but I, I don't, I'm not one of these people who can like, I don't want to make you dig for what I'm saying. I'm like, what <laughs> you'll get what I'm talking about in the song. Cause, cause it's, that's, that's the way I am as a writer. Do you know what I mean? And, um, I think that's the bit that people don't expect you to, you know, to be like emotional with stuff. Cause you're a bit, cause you're a big guy, but, but why not? That's one of the things I, I get from you. Um, and I think sometimes that can be a bit elusive with male singers as well. You know, it's sometimes I've, when I've talked to um, male singers in, in bands and just solo singers, um, you know, that's the thing that people grab onto, that actually you cannot be a good songwriter unless you are actually able to translate all of that. You know, have you ever got in trouble for some of the things that you put in songs because they've been so close to you? Or, or I know people saw themselves and were like, oi, <laughs> that's me yeah I've had you know what I've had people think that songs were about them that wasn't quite ah. a lot I remember having I remember having an ex-girlfriend be like I was seeing her in the pub and she was like yo that song's about me isn't it and I was like I know you think it is but I promise you it isn't you know and I, I do have those moments where it makes me like wince a little bit because I know I know that somebody knows that something's about them you know and, yeah, but, yeah. but like yeah, you can't really hold back on that stuff. Do you know what I mean? You, Too much. And you actually cannot. You can't just be like, I'm not going to say that. 
especially when the lyric is juicy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when you thought of a lyric and you're just like, oh, that's so good, but that's so mean, but it's so good, but it's so mean. <laughs> you know, you can't, uh, I think that's the definition of an artist is the way that you translate how you feel and what you're thinking, whatever. In that translation to everybody else, that's that's the quality of the artist. Yeah, of it? course. Like, like, I always think about when I write a song, like, is this, is this, can this song just not only be mine, can it be everybody else's and can it be that song for somebody else that can mean something totally different? Yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, to put it a bit blunt, you're a bit of a thief like me when it comes to lyrics and other people's stories, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I was talking to somebody the other day, it's like, you know, where'd you get your ideas? You know what? In those early days, I used to sit on a train from Ealing Broadway to Deptford, two hours, and I just used to watch people and overhear things and then write it down. And I get to the studio and I have a plethora of ideas. Is it like that for you as well? Yeah, yeah, all the time. Like, I, I love that you do that because that, that was, that was, I used to get the train from Brighton and I loved, I, I can't listen, I'm, I listened in a lot of people's stories. And, 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 uh, and also from like, I would do stuff like when I was on a night out and pe- people would have like drunk arguments. Yeah, like, I'd like to. I'd like to hear your drunk. I want to know what your drunk arguments about because that could be a real juicy lyric in there somewhere. <laughs> right. I was. I, I interviewed. I interviewed a lot of people. I interviewed Jane Arbor Trading, and she was talking about how time, one time she was in a restaurant and these couples started having a row, and she thought to herself, "I'm probably the only person in the room that's going to write a song about it." <laughs> <laughs> it's too juicy, right? It's of too course. juicy. I mean, I, you write about things that happen to you, and, and I know that a lot of stuff is deeply personal and all that kind of stuff. But you know, it's also you, you've got to write about other things that you're seeing and feeling, right? Yeah, yeah, because some, because you know, like sometimes your life isn't as isn't as interesting. Yeah, like you you know like spending like 12 hours on on a tour bus going somewhere isn't as interesting as like what's going on in someone else's life yeah so sometimes you've got to dig into theirs yeah exactly what's that yeah tell me how are you feeling about that way that broke up that you had tell me about it (laughs) (laughs) oh dear so you're from brighton i thought you'd move to brighton no, no, I, I, I've always been from East Sussex. Yeah, yeah, I've lived here, lived here pretty much most of my life. So, because I thought to myself, did you start? Did you? So, you did you start singing once you've moved out of the family home and went to new area yeah. and stuff like well, that? Well, I, I sort of lived like twenty miles outside of Brighton, yeah, in like a little village for years, and then, and then it was only when I moved to Brighton that I really started making music properly because. There was nothing where I grew up. No one was making anything. No, there might have been the odd drum and bass DJ, but that was about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, you love my drum and bass. It's not a bad. Of thing. course, yeah, I love me some jungle, but yeah, don't I? I didn't really much start making anything until I started meeting people in Brighton and 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 getting together at gigs and stuff. Yeah. And then you did you did you kind of have a crew? Did you have a posse that you're writing with, and you were all together, or you you would just be with them and then go off and do your own thing? For a long time, I was just writing over people's beats because I didn't really have like a bunch of musicians. I didn't really have a producer or anything like that. It was it was just me and a load of hip hop guys, and like 
I was the worst rapper out of everybody. So I so <laughs> so I was so I started singing over beats like kind of like what's going on? What was going on there? Why I, would you yeah, I just didn't have the, I just didn't have the same cadence as everybody else. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like yeah, it just yeah, just just writing over like Jay Diller beat kind of stuff, and um, and then from that was like, oh, this this is kind of restricting because there's only what beat is there, and I, and I can't sort of go off and do other stuff that I want to do, and um, I met up with Mark Crew again after years and years. Like, yeah, we went to school together ah. when, we, when we when we when we were little kids. And I hadn't seen I hadn't seen him for like ten years, and then he was like, "Why don't you come up to our studio in Batsy?" And um, that was kind of the start of it all. So, how long did you know Mark um, before I met you? In back in the day, oh, oh, like fifteen years or something. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, like in Batsy. The... Oh right, I, I think I started going to Batsy about ten years ago now. So, I, and I, I think. I think I met you kind of halfway between those. Yeah. Cool. What is the thing that people say about you the most when they meet you? Oh. Mine is like, oh, you don't, you know, I thought you were going to be scary. You're not that scary. Oh, yeah. Or like, yeah. you know, I thought you were going to be taller. <laughs> <laughs> no, people people never say I thought you were going to be taller. They always say it because I'm like 6'6", six, six, so that I'm like... Yeah, right? I'm, and they, they always, people always think I'm quite imposing in, 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 until you start talking to them. You yeah. know what I mean? They always think I'm intimidating. But but I'm not. I'm, I'm the least intimidating person. Oh, I know. Yeah, you don't have energy <laughs> at all. You like always come across as a, a total sweetie to me. Like, <laughs> I think I think it's like... Yeah, you, maybe your music says one thing and... You know your personality always says another. It's you know people have, have difficulty with that too. I think it's, it's, I guess it takes a moment to adjust because I think um, there's certain perceptions people have, and I think also um, to be quite honest, a lot of rappers are looking to look like you, and they have to kind of like make <laughs> up so that they look like yeah. you. You know, yeah. and they'll you know, you're just naturally imposing and naturally a kind of, you have a certain amount of presence. And I think some of these guys are like, they're kind of trying, they, they haven't got it. So they have to find it in other ways by being little bad boys. I think or, um, you know. the, the biggest thing when I'm in, when I'm in the US is that people either think I'm a rapper or they think I'm like a, a, a American football player. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> what I get ev- everywhere I go. They're like, hey, do you play football? Like, <laughs> <laughs> or, or do I make some rap music? That's that's the two things I get. Yeah, you're like, no, I don't play football. Um, I all soccer. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? So listen, um, I was going to ask you about being in Nashville because I went to Nashville for the first time just before COVID. I did like a songwriters workshop there. I actually oh, went yeah. twice in two months because I went just to um, go and see Dolly Parton, actually, uh, who's my favorite singer ever. And then I went back to do a songwriting thing just accidentally. And how was that for you? Why did you, um, what, what was the thing that you found after the last album that you were searching for in terms of going to Nashville? Because um, in terms of just saying for the audience, it's like people have this idea of Nashville as being this country and Western place, it is. It's also a hub of incredible songwriters. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, I think I was I was three quarters away through my album, and I had like I think I had like eight songs that I was really really happy with out of loads that I'd written in the UK. Some down here, some at Mark's place, 
And then I got to a point where I thought I just I didn't feel like I could write anything else. I, I was like I'd run out of ideas. Yeah. And um, I was like, if we're if we're going to carry on with this, I need to like a change of scenery. And you know the kind of A and R thing is to like oh go go to LA and write some songs in LA. And I was like I I like LA, but I don't really want to work if I'm going to LA. I'll just end up partying. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And. Yeah. And um, I'd been to Nashville a few times before because I have a friend there, Jamie Liddell, who, who who we recorded together quite a bit. But then I also knew of some songwriters that I really wanted to work with. And one was this girl called Natalie Hemby. Mm. And um, we had like a mutual friend and, and my friend was like, you have to work with her, she's amazing. Um, so we decided to go over there to work with her. And these two guys called... Um, Mike Reed and Alan Shamblin who wrote um, I Can't Make You Love Me the Bonnie Raitt song oh of course yeah I put that in my show I love that track and so see, so we went out and, and finished the record out there and wrote like probably like 10 more songs and um, and, and probably took f- 5 or 6 of those and, and which ended up on the album and in turn I met Mike Elizondo who's, who produced the record um, and and went to his studio and it's like unlike anything I've ever been to before. Like the studio was, he, I he, I guess he's been in the game for a long time and he's like, he's one of these people that if you said to him any, any kind of reference, I'm like, oh, what about that drum sound from like Black Sabbath? Like what kit was it? He's like, oh, I've got the kit in the back. It's the Ludwig 62 kit. You've got to be joking, seriously. You know, and, 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 and then, Mind feels a great yeah, just the knowledge and i was like oh what was that sound from that like blondie record what what guitar sound he's like oh that's that guitar with that amp and and, and that together the wealth of knowledge is ridiculous I'm right and he got all of the references that i was talking about for yeah. the sound of this record i was like oh i really want the vocals to sit like this and i i i really want this guitar sound and he just and the people he kn- he knows as well was also like Oh, I really want Derry Jones to drum on this. And he's like, I know Derry, we'll get him. And I was like, okay, we're coming <laughs> back to do this record here. And uh, he ended up getting Wendy Melvin from from Prince and the Revolution to play guitar on the record as well. So I was like, yeah, yeah. he just he just knows people, man. <laughs> like the people that I, I I couldn't approach, they'll be like, who are you? Do you know what I mean? So it was it was a uh, it it was a pretty pretty rad experience. Wow, I mean the thing about I love about. Um... Uh, Nashville is just the mentality of writing songs. I think oh, for yeah. me, it's just so much above. Like you have a, a hub of all these writers and the level of the mentality of writing and being in studios and nerdmanship, which I love. And put yeah. there, it's just it's just supreme. It's just as you say, all these musicians just like will just come in and do it because they want to be involved. But also just understanding lyrics and emotion and the spirituality of singing and what you're trying to convey and the sounds you want to use. It was I was really impressed by a lot of people there. I think the thing that changed from the UK to Nashville for me in particular was first of all like the pace of songwriting I didn't feel like anybody was like rushed to get a song done in a day and I felt that a lot with writers in the UK there was like let's write let's get this get it recorded try and get a demo done in a day and I was like you don't need to do that it's also it's also felt way more considered 
Yes. Like everything, everything felt well considered, and everybody was just trying to service the song, and it, there, there was kind of a bit of less. It's competitive, but but in the right way. Do you know what I mean? And I, and yeah. and um, and everybody just wants everybody else to write a really good song. That's what it felt like to me. I think also, you know, there's also that feeling of like country and western music has that above a lot of other types of music sometimes. You know, I, it's like there is this long tradition of storytelling, like blues, blues, country, western. I think they're very close, to be honest. That long tradition of, of, of talking about music and telling stories within the music and everything. Did you have any idea how big human was going to get? I mean, that must that whole period of your life must have been totally off the hook and crazy, in good ways and bad ways, I'm guessing. But did you have any idea that was going to happen? No, I didn't. To be honest, it, it wasn't the song from the record that I thought if any if any of the songs from that record were gonna were gonna get successful, I didn't think it was going to be that one. That's crazy. But, you know, like it's sometimes it's just about luck of being about in the right place at the right time and having the right ears for your music. Like, you know, like it was a time where there wasn't really anything else like that on the radio. Like it just felt different. And, and I, I think for some reason, like Europe just picked up on it straight away. I remember being in like Switzerland and I'd never heard my music on the radio before. Not I've only ever heard it on like uh, some like, you know, pirate radio station somewhere before <laughs> yeah. when we was doing stuff with Rum Committee. Like that was it. And then suddenly, like it was on regular rotation in Europe. Yeah. And then, um, and then one of the people from the label rang me up and was like, "Hi, it's such and such from the record label in Germany." Um, by the way, on Friday, you're going to be number one in Germany. And I was like, "Yo, that's crazy!" <laughs> like, what the. F- <laughs> and and then, and then like it was it was it was like number one all over like yeah. Europe Europe and then and then you know the way it is like the UK just caught on after everybody else and then yeah yeah it was madness absolute f- madness I didn't I didn't expect it I mean I remember it I was just like oh my god this song is just absolutely just worldwide exploded yeah, yeah. it kind of comes with like. You know, it's really great, and 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 it was wicked to 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 get that foot in the door. Um, I had loads of my mates ringing me up at the time, being like, "Your song's on the radio six times in the last three hours. It's doing my absolute nothing." <laughs> well, I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, listen, I've got a couple more questions for you. What's like the biggest lesson you've learned so far about the way you kind of write and all the things that you've been through? Like, what are the things that you're like, God, we really got that right. And then what are some of the things that you're like, oof, I'm not sure we should have done that again. I mean, I'm a true believer in there's no such thing as a mistake because it's all good. But what are those, what's that kind of thing that you feel at the moment, especially having this time in COVID to actually have taken a step back? Oh, yeah, you get to think about it. I think, like, I don't really have any sort of regrets as such, um, but I have definitely learned lessons. Um like, I think I would always take a bit more time, especially with t- putting records together. Like, I listened to that Human album, and there's obviously, like, a couple of songs that did really well commercially. But when 
when something becomes like big quickly, you're, uh, it felt like I was scrambling around for songs and then just whacked them all on this project. And it was like, yeah, cool. They're, they're cool. And then I didn't really have time to like process it properly. And then listening back to it, I was like, oh, I don't know, I'm not sure about that one. Oh, I'm not sure about that one. Because I think I just, it, I rushed it so yeah. much just, just, to, just to get a record out. Um, that I would I would always be a bit more considered about it because, you know, and, and also there are things that happened with the production of the record kind of, I was kind of green at the time and li- I listen back to it now and I'm like, some f- put auto-tune on my voice somewhere in the record. And I was like, how, how dare you? If, if, it's like, if I, was, I couldn't believe it. I was like, what happened? If I find if I knew who it was, I I would have been at your door, bruv, because I don't put auto tune on my voice without me telling oh you to. Gosh. Come on. And then, you know, like I learnt like I learnt quickly a lot of things about the industry that I didn't know. Yeah. And and um one of those things is when I when I sort of started to play, you know, how you go and do T V shows and play live on the T V and um I remember first of all doing like the uh, having a conversation about doing the Brit Awards and they were like oh um no no you don't play live and I was like what do you mean what are you talking about they were like oh no you just you you, you just play on everyone's on track and you you'll sing but no one else is playing and I was like nah not for not for me bro like we, we are playing live and they're like I oh, know you can't so I was told over and again over and over again that I can't play live and yeah, yeah. I kind of I, I've been really staunch about that over the year over the, these last few years that we don't play to track and 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 I wouldn't make my musicians I wouldn't make my musicians mime not not a f- day. Like, yeah, not, it's, not it's a hard thing to um to kind of uh to have to worry about in it and to do. Yeah. Listen, for one question because I know you have to go. Um, I just my last question is I literally just saw before I came to talk to you that you uh got collaboration with Pink. Yeah, how's that? Tell me quick, very quickly about that because it's quite exciting to me. It's amazing. I met her back in twenty seventeen in Paris. We were doing like a radio station gig, and um, I loved her voice forever. I think she's amazing, and and um, yeah, she she come over and she's like, I really like your song, and um, we talked a little bit, and then I met her again after the Brit Awards a couple of years ago, and I was like, look, I'm maybe speaking out of turn, but it'd be cool if me and you could do something at some point. She's like, yeah, you know, when the time's right and you get the right song and stuff, send me it. So I sent her a song and she totally aired me for ages. <laughs> and then <laughs> and, and and then I listened back and I thought, nah, this is not really the right song. So I left it a while and it was probably a year later and th- this record's all done. And I was like, I think now's the right time to ask. So I sent her this song and she was like, yeah, I'll do it. I love it. Excellent. Um, oh, well, great. Well, listen, good luck with that. Um, thank you. Good luck with all the future plans. I know you're a busy boy and you've got a lot yeah. going on. So I just want to send you some love and say congratulations. Congratulations thank on you. the new album. I've already played the tracks. I've been playing the tracks on my radio oh, show. And um, people love them. It's going down really well. So big love, big love to fam. And um, yeah, thank you for coming on. And, um, you know, it's all good. All right. Actually, thank you so much. <laughs> no worries. Bye bye. See ya. See you later. 
Lovely to catch up with Rag and Bone Man. Check out his new album, Life by Misadventure, out on May the 7th. I want to give a big shout out to Kiz Romney Massive, who left such a kind message on iTunes, titled, Finally, the truth about real life, it says. <laughs> Loving the interviews and the way Skin gets to be open and honest to her guests regarding her views and questions she asks. Her guests feel at ease and in return give their real life experiences and not what we see in glossy magazines or social media. Oh, that's very kind words. Thank you very much, uh, Romney Massive. I um, appreciate that. Um, big up yourself and also big up to Mog Gravit and Amanda Thomas too. Just like those guys, feel free to follow Skin Tings. Leave us a nice comment and a five-star review, of course. Next time on Skin Tings, I'll be catching up with Block Party's Kelly. See you then.